Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Yesterday, I started a series on how God looks at the world and how God looks at us. He looks at the world and sees no sins in them. Only one sin remains for them to judge, and that's accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Once we receive Jesus, now we are part of his family. But how do we look at the world? We need to understand God is not imputing their trespasses against them. Just one thing, they need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That makes witnessing real easy, doesn't it? Let's go to the Word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello, thanks for tuning in today. This is Bob Yandian and this is Student of the Word broadcast. Glad to have you here today. For those of you watching for the first time, I welcome you. I'm sure you'll come back. I'm sure you'll enjoy the Word of God. This is a teaching of the Word of God. I'd like to break it down at all different areas of the Word of God. So I know it's gonna bless you today. Then for those of you who've been watching for some time, welcome back. And for those of you who have been watching for so long and become a partner, again, I thank you. For all of you who would like to become a partner, just go to my website, bobbyandian.com you can become a partner with me. It starts in the heart. You listen to what I'm teaching. You go, I like that. And there's a connection there. I like to be partners with people that feel connected with me and that we're doing something unique, unique for your life, unique for those that are watching out there. And that is to understand the depth of the Word of God and how it changes you on a day-by-day basis. So again, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me and thank you in advance. I began something yesterday. We're going to finish it today. And it got it has to do with the prophecy that God gave over Balaam and Balaam gave over the nation of Israel. And this is found in Numbers chapter 23, verses 18 through 23. And so if you want to find that, very quickly do so. And then what I'm offering is a, is a series of the seven churches of Revelation. And in there, the doctrine of Balaam, and also how Balaam turned the nation in the wrong way and uh, started out asking God for the right way, but then after a while saw a way of making money. And so he turned against God and turned against the nation. And uh, that's all brought out in the book of Revelation, again, with the seven churches that are there and the doctrine of Balaam is brought up. So the announcer call, I will tell you at halftime how you can have a copy of it for yourself. And so that'll be presented. Numbers chapter 23, verse 18 through 23 says this, Balaam took up this parable. He's speaking to Balak, the king, the wicked king, the evil king, who's trying to get Balaam to prophesy against Israel, taking one of their own prophets out of the nation of Israel to turn on the nation and prophesy against them because he knew in his nation he had no prophets that were stronger than the power of God. So again, it says in verse 18, Balaam took up this parable and said, rise up Balak and hear, listen to me, you son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. We're going to come back to that statement. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. It must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. He's simply saying God God is the one who put this nation together, birthed this nation. They were in captivity. God brought them out and there's no attack of Satan, divination or sorcery that's going to change what God has done because God is bigger than Satan himself. 
What I want to point out to you is something interesting he said about the nation. He said, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The name Jacob and Israel represent the two names that Jacob had. First of all, he was born Jacob, then God changed it to Israel. And the point of it was Jacob was his name before he was saved, and Israel was his name after he was saved. They had salvation the same as we do, trusting in the same Jehovah, the Lord we do. Results have been changed. I mean, today we are actually born again. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That didn't happen to a believer in the Old Testament. But the method of salvation has never changed. It's always been by grace through faith. And the point of it was here, God is saying here of Jacob and of Israel, he's making a comparison. How many times did God speak to the entire nation? Says, oh, house of Jacob, oh, house of Israel. House of Jacob referred to the unbelievers, the physical Jews within the nation. But Israel refers to the Jews who had received him as saved and those of other races who had received the Lord as Savior living in Israel. This occurred whenever the children of Israel left the land of Egypt and with them was a, a great mixed multitude of every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation that came out of Egypt and traveled into Israel and gained the blessings they had because of one thing. They had a connection with God by accepting Jehovah, the Lord, as their Savior. We call him Jesus. They called him Jehovah. So here he's saying that God has not observed iniquity in Jacob or Israel. I can understand if God said, I have not observed any of the wickedness in Israel, but this iniquity in Jacob, that's a difficult one to understand until you do this. To understand that Jacob was his name before he was saved. Israel was his name after he was saved. And in the nation, the house of Jacob, are the unbelievers of the nation and the house of Israel. Israel are the believers within the nation. What's he saying? I observed no iniquity in them. It's because when Jesus went to the cross and died, he removed sins as an issue between God and man. You don't go to hell because of your sins, all the things you've done, the iniquities you've committed. I mean, adultery, murder, fornication, whatever it may be, all those things God removed through Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's no longer the barrier between God and man. There's only one barrier between God and man. It's the one sin Jesus didn't die for, it's rejection of himself. So all these other sins will not keep you out of heaven. And God sees the whole world today as either the house of Jacob or the house of Israel. He doesn't see the iniquity in them because Jesus died for that. But what he does see is this, some have accepted Jesus, some have not. This group has accepted Jesus, this group has not. And that's the whole difference. The message we have today was the message of the Old Testament, receive the Lord. Isaiah chapter 53, how lovely on the mountains of the feet of them that bring glad tidings of peace. They brought glad tidings of peace, which is the same thing we do. Our feet are covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We bring the same message. So the message in the Old Testament was faith in Jehovah. The issue of the New Testament is faith in Jesus, the same name, same person who died on the cross for us. And when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says he died for the sins of the world. All sins were actually wiped out and, and forgiven through Jesus on the cross, except for one. And that one sin that was left is rejection of Jesus Christ. And that's all there is for us to preach and teach. What we preach and teach today, again, is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so it brings us to our place in Jesus Christ. But today I'm going to take another look at that. That statement that God hasn't seen iniquity in Jacob and God hasn't seen iniquity in Israel. When he looks at the church, he looks at the world, he sees no sins in us. But the one thing that separates the two is we have accepted Jesus 
Sinners have not. Therefore, we're going to take a whole new look today at how we witness to people because the issue in witnessing is not their sins. Jesus died for that. The issue in witnessing is what do you think of Jesus Christ? Our state and our standing as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, once we are born again, we have a positional truth and we have a temporal truth. Positional truth is who I am in Christ. Temporal truth is how I still relate to a temporal world around me. A Christian's position in Adam has been replaced with a new position in Christ. When we stand before God in heaven, we're going to be there because we are there with Christians, with other believers. There's going to be another group stand before the Lord a thousand years later at the great white throne judgment, and they're going to be judged for one thing. They refuse to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you talk to any sinner today, and you ask him, when you go to heaven, how is God going to look at you? They say, oh, he'll look at me fine because of all the good deeds I have done. Yes, he, and they'll say, I think my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds or my sins. Well, the whole issue there is sins don't matter. Jesus died and removed that, but Jesus did not die for your good works. The issue is, so when a sinner stands before God and claims they have all these good works, God can actually look them up and say, you say, that's true, you do. But all those great deeds you have done will not let you into heaven. My score to getting into heaven is a 100. There is nobody who's ever made a 100 except Jesus Christ himself. And they may say, yeah, but how am I going to get into heaven? He says, if you accept Jesus as your savior, his score belongs to you. You know, down here on earth, if you, if you take a test, you know, and somebody steals your, steals your grade and takes your 100, that's called cheating. But in heaven, it's called grace because God freely offers the, the uh, score that Jesus Christ made on that test while he was in life, born outside the curse on, of Adam, lived an entire life without sin, went to the cross without sin and died for our sins. He scored a 100 on God's test. And even if you could score a 99.9, it's still an F. There is no B's, C's or D's in this thing. It's all an A or an F. And an A is a 100 hundred, anything else is an F. And so what God is simply saying here in this thing is when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're not going to be judged for our, ourself. He's not going to look at Bob and judge Bob all by himself. He's going to look at me and say, who are you in? I was born in Adam, but there was a day I was taken out of Adam. When I accepted Jesus, I was taken out of Adam and placed into Jesus Christ. In Adam, all die. Some who have had little sins and some who have had massive sins. Some who have many, many thousands of sins as opposed to one that might have lived a moral life and are standing before God, they are going to be cast into hell too for one reason, that they could not match the righteousness of God. When I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I was taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. We sometimes have this position, and this is what the world takes, and we might have had it before we were saved, that I'm going to be judged for an, as an individual. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not going to be compared to the guy next to me or the guy next to me. I'm going to be judged as an individual. God's going to look at me and weigh my good deeds against my bad deeds. And if my good deeds are more than my bad deeds, and most people think they are. But think about this. What if somebody stood before God and they were very moral? They lived a very moral life, maybe even religious, but they never accepted Jesus. And it's in and probably 99% of the cases, they always made the right decision. And they're thinking, oh, surely I'm going to get in heaven. Look at all the good things I have done. I made so many good decisions. 
decisions, but the point of it is you don't go to hell because of decisions. You go to hell because you are in Adam, born that way. His trespass came upon you, and that trespass that came upon you is because you were born in Adam, and you have to die to Adam and be reborn into the Lord Jesus Christ. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. When I stand before God, God is not going to look at my works. Whether I get into heaven or not, he's simply going to ask this, who are you plugged into? Who as a branch are you now? Which tree are you connected to? You see, I used to be a dead branch because I was attached to a dead tree. But I was removed when I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I was plugged into a living tree. I am alive because who I am plugged into. I am plugged into eternal life himself. His name is Jesus Christ. So a Christian's position in Adam had to be replaced with a new position position in Christ. We are no longer sinners, even though as a Christian we can sin once in a while, but God doesn't look at us as sinners. If we are righteous, being in Christ, here's what happens. We still commit personal sins, but it comes from the nature of the flesh, which is still in us, and that will be gone at the rapture of the church or at the time that we physically die in this earth. So, it comes back to this. I will not be judged as an individual. I will be judged for who I am plugged into. And there was a day I got out of Adam and I got into Jesus Christ himself. I'll see you right after the break and you can find out how you can have a copy of the seven churches of Revelation. Hi, Pastor Bob here. It's time for my annual minister's conference. It's going to be March the 7th through the 9th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll be speaking. Joseph Z will be joining me as well as Orlando Juarez teaching on praise and worship. I look forward to it every year. It's been a life-changing event for me and for the ministers who attend. And I believe in, in the year 2024, we're going to see a special move of God like never before. So I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible that are involved in any section of ministry at all. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus addresses the seven churches which made up the Christian world. Join Bob Yandian as he explores in detail each of the seven churches addressed and explains how God's messages to those churches are still relevant to us today, not only in the local church, but also in our individual lives. Messages include, Jesus comes to church, Ephesus, a church filled with good works. Smyrna, no money, but rich. Pergamos, where does Satan sit? Thyatira, who is Jezebel? Sardis, the books of God. Philadelphia, what it takes to open a door. And Laodicea, what makes God throw up? To order the seven churches, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership.
You know, there's a popular saying today, people say it all the time, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Well, I'm here to tell you good people and bad people go to heaven and good people and bad people go to hell. Now, some of you might be getting a little bit upset with me for that statement, it comes back to this. You don't go to heaven because you were good and you don't go to hell because you were bad. You go to heaven because you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You go to hell because you rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But while you are here, on this earth as a Christian, when you first get born again and you find yourself in Christ and this whole new experience has happened to you, the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you. God has given you his word. It takes time for you to get out of a lifestyle that you were in. God doesn't see you when you sin as a Christian. He sees a sinner who sins as different than a Christian who sins. And there's a whole different set of rules. A sinner sins because that's his nature. But my nature was changed when I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now I have something to battle against the sin that tempts me. What tempts me is the part of me that's still left over from Adam and that's in my body. And that's called the nature of the flesh. And the nature of the flesh has a tendency to want to pull you back into the world in your thinking and in your actions. But the new nature on the inside of you, which is greater than the nature of the flesh, pulls you toward Jesus Christ and making the right decision. If you ever make a wrong decision and you let the flesh control you, there's a way out of that. First John 1, 9 simply says, if we Christians, not sinners, John wrote this and said, if we, he included himself in this group, which shows that John, the great disciple, the one that loved Jesus, the one that loved the Lord, the one that walked with him so closely, the one that was the closest to Jesus, he still sinned. And he says, if we confess our sins, Christians confess their sins. Sinners can't confess their sins. They go to God and they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Before you're saved, your sins you've ever committed out here don't count with God, just your rejection of Jesus Christ. Once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now you have the power to handle individual sins in you, but still, and you commit a sin as a Christian, it doesn't keep you out of heaven. Accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior opened up the door for heaven. I'm going to heaven. You say, yeah, but what if you don't ask God to forgive you of your sins? What if you don't act on 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, but if I don't ask the Lord to forgive me, I go to heaven with it, but God brings me into heaven, but has to cleanse that thing up there. And that's called the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will all come up there and we, some may come up with more wood, hay and stubble than they have gold, silver, and precious stones. But the wood, hay, and stubble is the sins you committed as a believer that you didn't ask God to forgive you of. Because the moment you ask him to forgive you, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would love to go to heaven with no unconfessed sins in my life. I would love to go to heaven with all confessed sins that I did as a Christian. I don't want to come there and have a stack of wood, hay, and stubble. I'd like to go into heaven with only gold, silver, and precious stones. But what happens, pastor, if you do go to heaven and you do have this pile of wood, hay, and stubble, what happens? The Bible says that God's going to judge it by fire and the fire is going to fall on that mound of what is there and the wood, hay, and stubble will burn up instantly, but the gold, silver, and precious stones will not because you cannot destroy gold or silver or precious stones with fire. It only purifies it. After the dust settles, after the smoke is gone, he'll reward you for what's left over. God will not allow any unrighteousness in heaven 
heaven and that which does come up with us when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ will all be handled at that time. It simply comes back to this. A Christian's position in Adam has been replaced with a new position in Christ. Once I was a sinner, accepted Jesus, I was in Adam, now I've been replaced with a new position in Christ. I am no longer a sinner. I am now a Christian, but as a, as a Christian, a Christian does sin. And what happens through the Christian life, as you grow and mature, become more of a disciple of Jesus Christ, you begin to walk freer from sin. And there can come a time in your life when you can look back and say, I can't remember the last time I sinned. That doesn't mean you haven't sinned along there somewhere, but you have confessed it. But honestly, sin does not control your life anymore. What controls your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you have the ability that when tempted, and temptation is not a sin, it's yielding to the temptation. When you're tempted to sin and say no, because why? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and he that's in my flesh. And so the point of it is I'm not controlled by my flesh anymore. I control my flesh. It becomes a servant to me. As I walk with Jesus Christ, my body just has to say yes, sir, and follow. And my body now takes me places. My feet take me places. My hands take me places. And with my feet, I travel and bring the message of Jesus Christ with my hands. I can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. All these wonderful things the Great Commission includes. So again, we are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, yet we still commit personal sins from our nature of the flesh. But when we ask the Lord to forgive us of that, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness surrounding that. The Lord is so good. We died in Adam, but then we were replaced into the Lord Jesus Christ. Our position in Christ is our entrance to heaven, not the lack or removal of personal sins. As a sinner, the sins I committed, again, Jesus died for. I was judged for one thing. I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only sin Jesus did not die for. So when a Christian commits a sin, God sees us as a believer committing a sin, not a sinner committing a sin. There is a vast difference between the two. This is all a family matter. When I, as a Christian, a member of the family of God, commit a sin and ask the Lord to forgive me. The sin keeping us from heaven again has been removed as a Christian. The sin keeping me out of heaven was rejection of Jesus Christ. The sins keeping me from fellowship with God, and that's the sins I commit as a believer, does not separate me from relationship with God. It separates me from fellowship with Him. How do you understand that? It's simply this. When you have a child and that child disobeys you. He's still your child, but what's broken is that fellowship. What's broken is that communion you have with each other, that, that the relationship is still there, but there's something in the air hanging is waiting for one thing, for the child to say, forgive me, I did wrong. The moment that happens, there it is again, it's restored. That's what fellowship with God is. It's broken when the Christian sins, but you do not leave the family. You join the family by faith in Jesus Christ and you were born into the family and nothing can remove that birth. The sins keeping us from fellowship with God in our daily walk are an issue to be handled by us in life. Again, 1 John 1, 9, written to Christians, not to sinners. 
Sinners can't confess their sins. Sinners confess the Lordship of Jesus. After that, they can confess their sins because now they have been given authority over it. And so again, we have a daily walk and the issue is to be handled by us in life. And if we don't handle in life, it'll be handled by God at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. So the sin keeping us from heaven is covered by the shedding of Jesus' blood. The sins keeping us from fellowship with God and thus hindering our rewards in heaven are covered by the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. What's the difference between shedding and sprinkling? I can tell you in one big word, the amount. The amount of blood in the shedding of blood was put into bowls, but the sprinkling of blood, a little hyssop was put and drops of it were sprinkled everywhere. The shedding of blood is how we get born again. And the shedding of blood protects us from God. I will never face hell. I will never face the great white throne judgment. I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but that's not to allow me into heaven. That has to do with rewards once I get to heaven. So the shedding of blood protects us from God, but the sprinkling of blood protects us from Satan. It blocks the door so that Satan cannot enter into our life, cannot affect us. Oh, he can still tempt us. But the moment we confess our sins, if we do sin, the sprinkling of blood now forgives that sin, removes it, and now protects us from Satan. So let's take a look at sin versus sins singular sin and sins. The sin, singular, is a reference to the nature of sin in me. That's called the flesh. And sometimes when the Bible refers to your flesh, especially in the book of Romans, it's flesh in the singular. It is sin in the singular. And so the sin nature, which is the flesh, is still in us and will remain with our natural body until we are raptured from this earth when Jesus comes back for us or until we die. At the moment of death, our physical body, we leave it and it just turns into dust and eventually dies. The same thing's going to happen when we are raptured at the rapture, we won't go by physical death, but this mortal body will suddenly put on immortal body. We'll have a resurrection body which cannot be tempted because it does not have the nature of the flesh in it. So sins committed and not repented of go to heaven with the believer, but will be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. But the sin nature and the sins it produces do not keep us from heaven. Again, only one sin, rejection of Jesus, keeps a person from going to heaven. So, what about that? So when God sees a sinner, he does not see his sins. He sees the one sin his son did not die for, rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Jesus died for every sin on the cross we've ever committed except for one rejection of himself, and he leaves that one sin for us to judge. This is what brings the new birth to us. You say, then why didn't Jesus die for the sin of rejecting him? Because our will would have nothing to do with us being born again. If he leaves that one sin up to us, in other words, all the other sins we've committed in life will not be held against us because Jesus removed them at the cross and died for the sins, plural, of the world. But there's one sin he didn't die for, he left with us. Why? So that I have 
have a choice whether I go to heaven or if I go to hell. And all my sins have nothing to do with it. It comes down to this, Jesus Christ, whose son is he? This brings us to the new birth. So when we witness, what does this do for us? When we see sinners, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. God has reconciled me to himself, but now I need to have him reconciled to me. Jesus Christ died on the cross and God sees now the door is open and he takes that step toward me, but asks me to take that step toward him. And what is it? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. What am I saying? How do you witness to a person? They may bring up all their sins and all their trespasses, but you know what? You can simply tell them that's not the issue. Jesus died for that. There's only one thing separating you from God. It's not your sins. He died for that. It's receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Makes witnessing real easy, doesn't it? Thank you. We'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.